We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 159. And this little opinion is brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am joined today by Frances Tomas. Who else to help me? We're not really breaking down what happened. Barcelona Inter, you can get that on Patreon, Barca Blog, all those different places. But Frances, I felt like there were so many big themes from last night, where, thing, where things that we've been talking about all season long, that kind of, they became self-fulfilling prophecies last night. And I, I'm not sure whether or not I was watching it within that match or whether there were bigger ideas on the, over the course of the season. And you just finished it. What were your, I guess we don't have any questions about this, what were your, just your emotional impression of that game? Well, my first impression is that the Champions League is different. Um, you can be playing a million matches in La Liga, but when, when crunch time comes, the Champions League comes, um, as you say, all the sort of worlds tend to collide. Um, very, very simplistically speaking, I thought the first half was way too slow. And we lacked any width and speed and arguably any willingness, to be honest. Um, we were sort of outplayed by Conte and a much more physical Italian team. On the second half, uh, especially once Busquets came off and Frankie and Artur basically stepped up. Obviously, the inclusion of Arturo Vidal also helped. Um, it was more, much, much more dynamic, much more organized, much more purposeful. And basically, Suarez managed to find the goal once again. And Messi, once he became sort of adapted to the pace of the game, obviously he's been injured for the last two, three months uh, on and off. And it's the first 90 minutes he plays in full. It just shows what we all know, that Messi is the best player in the world and he can unbalance games when he's ready. So in a nutshell, that's pretty much my first impression. Well, let's start with Suarez here. Miner asks, Suarez's performance against Inter was stellar, a critical component to tonight's win. Can we rely on Suarez to perform like tonight for the entire season long? And, you know, I, I guess I'll go first on this one, Francis, if you don't mind, that, you know, I, it seems to me that the, the discourse here is two different camps. It's that Suarez needs to be dropped and he's just not good enough. And it's those who say, you know, well, I told you so. He's still utter class. And I think the role he played, look at the, when the goals came. Coming in the 58th minute and then again in the 84th minute uh, on those two Again, wonderful goal, sure. And he's had this season when he's put it in the back of the net, they've been bangers. But I think for Suarez, he could do those same things coming off the bench, right? He Or he wouldn't have to start every single match where it looks like he's he's just consistently getting penciled in as a starter uh, game in and game out, right? I think there's a balance there to be found where uh, even 
slowly, not even slowly weaning him out of the rotation, but rotating him and having him not start every match and not be running on those, uh, we know, terrifically healthy knees, which we know is not ever going to be the case anymore. So I, I think he's still a class player that's capable of finishing. And can he perform like that tonight for the season? Sure, but he's going to have to be rested and rotated, and he's just not going to be able to be plugged in every time to that starting lineup. And what we've talked about many, many times, and we get questions about this every week, and I apologize for those down our, uh, our our question list that have asking the same thing. But you know, to get the best out of Griezmann, we've talked about this as well that he should probably be playing regularly at that number nine spot, and that would mean that Suarez has a spot on the bench, right? And I think for the betterment of the team, you know, my belief is that Suarez is the first forward off the bench, and Antoine, if that's what the game calls for, it might also call for some wingers. But if Dembele is able to be healthy. And even though he, I know he likes the right wing of Barcelona better than the left wing, uh, I, I think there has to be some kind of, um, yeah, there has to be some kind of rotation to get the best out of everybody, Suarez included. So I, I don't think this means that he should be penciled in to be the starter for every match over the next five months. It just means that uh, I think he's, I don't think it changes anything for me. I think it just means he's still a class striker that can put his foot behind a ball uh, and can score some goals. And I, I think there is room for him in this Barcelona squad to do that. Yeah, I don't think he was stellar at all. Um, I think that he finished two occasions, the two chances that he had, in the best possible way. And he showed once again, like he's shown like 200 times, that he's a class striker and he's one of the world's best ever at doing that. Um, so that doesn't surprise me. The fact that um, he was out of form and out of touch um, doesn't surprise me either. Um, that this certainly happened during the first half, but then again, he's someone who really depends on what can be provided for him. Um, his fight, his hustle, his um, elbowing, his opening of arms, his uh, you know falling on the floor, getting back up, his whining, moaning, um, unsettling defenders. That nothing, honestly, nothing from Suarez surprised me yesterday. It was a textbook performance from what Suarez is today. He's a player who continues to be effective, definitely in front of goal. Um, I'm happy he finally broke his really terrible performances in the Champions League in terms of 10, I think it was 10 games played, one goal scored over the last two years. So he scored double as many goals in one match as he did in two seasons in the Champions League, which is brilliant. But um, I wouldn't say he was there at all. The same way I didn't think he was that terrible last time round, I didn't think he was that great either this time round. Um, in terms of finishing, of course, give him, give him that credit where it's due. But I don't think we should be half empty, half full, or, or, or sort of going for the extremes. We need to take it for what it is. He's a world-class striker who is aging and he's a little bit out of form, but when he hits that and peaks, then he's a very valid, very valid world-class star. Yeah, my frustration with him yesterday was when you mentioned uh, about the, you know, we, we call him the dark arts, and that's a compliment to your player when your player is the one uh, causing all the ruckus. And I thought the referee, I'm not very uh, critical of referees often, but I, I thought the referee did not have a very good uh, time controlling that match. There were inconsistent calls on different tackles. And Suarez trying to play into the, uh, we'll say, uh, the, uh, the the confusion maybe on the official side about which uh, the correct calls to call. And my frustration was that there were times when I don't think he had to body the man first before he received the ball when he was on the touchline, you know, farther, he was 40 yards from goal uh, on the sideline. 
and yet he would still attempt to do the same things he, he might do in the box and some of those same tricks. And what that did, I think that almost played into Inter's hands because it stopped the ball dead. Uh, Barcelona did not have a, the, a free kick in an advantageous position. It's just stuck on the sideline. And now Inter even had time to set up to, to set up their defense in case Barcelona were attempting uh, anything that would be considered a transition opportunity, which obviously in the first half didn't happen at all. Uh, and the transition I have there... Not only was Suarez, I think, not helping it in that regard, but James and, and Gertie both asked similar questions. James, are we better with Busquets on the bench? And Gurdip asking, tactically speaking, can we have De Young and, and Busquets playing the same team? And, and why we bring this up is because the second goal there, uh, you know, Arturo Vidal, for all that's been given to him, it seems like he's fitting into that bench role coming off, trying to change a game by adding something different. And what he'd added different was by bringing on Vidal, uh, De Young moved back into the, you know, not the Busquets role, but uh, we'll call it just a number six role. Whether or not that that's, we're talking about um, Busquets in that, you know, he is a defensive midfielder, sure, but De Young wound up being in that defensive midfielder number six role for Busquets. And that meant Vidal when Barca, so the way that play happened, second goal, it's a giveaway by Barca up top. Inter Milan, like a, the three or four times they had done in that first half, go out on the counterattack. They get pretty fortunate, a combination of, PK and Lay and De Young, who ran about 70 yards back to help uh, defend, because that was his job now at, as that number six. They're able to get that, they're able to, to, to hold their ground and get the ball back for Barcelona. Then they peel out to Vidal for the counterattack. Vidal gets himself about 30 yards and starts that break. And obviously, then Messi goes into full Messi mode and Suarez finishes, right? But before that, again, that's the important part that Vidal did what a, we'll call a box to box midfielder would do. But is Busquets in that spot? No, he's not, because De Young is the one who came all the way back, and then Vidal is the one who's going to make that move, right? So it's just a, a matter of versatility, and what Inter were doing, they were the ones who wanted to be breaking and under Conte. Again, credit to Inter. They are number one in Serie A for a reason. They don't really concede that many goals, and they had a good defensive structure, and Barcelona wasn't breaking it down through the you know methodical probing that Busquets does. The way he was cutting out Inter's attacks was fine, but in that same regard, when De Young moved back to that six, it did show something special. So I think, can they play on the same team? Sure, in certain opportunity, in certain circumstances. But that means that Valverde's game plan has to be better. And it certainly wasn't a game plan that might have fit Busquets anymore. And I, I don't know, I was thinking about this a lot, uh, Francis. I want to hear what you think, and I've got some more thoughts on Busquets and, and where, where we lie on this. Well, but based on evidence, Barca is a better team when Busquets isn't there. Um, we have seen it time and time again that the dynamism and the sort of speed and the purpose of the team is different. Um, I'm not sure whether that is because they respect him too much. You know, like if you think about it, Busquets' position has been solid for the last 10 years. Yeah. And everyone knows what he does. Everyone, everyone knows his area of influence. But the thing is, so does everyone watching the game. But so do our rivals, you know. Um, our opponents know how to defend against him. They know that he's not going to be someone who's going to overlap. He's not someone who's going to do a one-to-one shoot on goal. He's constantly going to be looking to the sides. And, you know, he's missed a little bit of um, speed and, and that step in terms of um, recovering the ball. And, yeah, they, they, they have worked out his game. And because he's not at his peak, then it's easy to defend against. Um, then on the other side of the balance, you've got Frankie, who is incredibly dynamic, ambitious, hungry. And he just brings something different. Um, as I said, the, the biggest game of the season was yesterday. Um, obviously, away at Borussia Dortmund was difficult as well. But it was clear that the team is better when Frankie is there. And 
what you said in terms of Arturo and Artur actually rotating is definitely that um, because Busquets is not sort of solid in the middle. There's some other people that can occupy that position. They can rotate, they can filter out, they can associate, and the, the team was way better. And based on the evidence, yeah, that's that's what it is today. Yeah, but in that same regard, I don't think the starting lineup of Arthur, De Jong, and uh, Vidal is necessarily the answer either because I think playing Vidal in that starting position in this kind of match, that doesn't give you the control that you might want over a match. Or there, there are things in his game that wind up being glaring holes, but this match Great. needed something for him, right? They, they needed yeah. what Vidal was going to bring to it. Uh, and that's, you know, it's a credit to Valverde. So that, and that's the whole thing I was saying about, like, the lack of nuance, right? That it's, that, uh, you know, we're getting called, uh, I'm getting called a, a Valverde defender. Of course I am. Of course, I mean, that's, that's the discourse now. But in the same regard, you're either in, in, in stern defense of everything he does or you're uh, in complete opposition to Valverde. And that's where the nuance of this match even comes in, right? He got it completely wrong in the first half, as he's done a number of times this season, uh, Granada, Osasuna, a number of times when he's had to try to insert his substitutes and, and change up the game plan at halftime and put on new players at halftime. That's right. How many changes now has he made in this season? I believe it's six at halftime after the first 45 minutes, which is, again, I think is admitting that you had your game plan did not work and you got it wrong when you put the 11 down on the team sheet. Right. And uh, the, I, yeah. I think and, and for and for me, that's right. The nuance of frustration with Alverde that he he got it wrong, uh, undeniably got it wrong in the beginning. Then he got it right by figuring out who he needed, what personnel he needed and what he needed to change about the match they were in. Right. And so Alverde winds up getting a result now on the point about. Busquets, Dan, in, yeah, in that it just really depends whether you want to see the glass half full or half empty. You know, you can argue that he gets it wrong in the first half. But then again, you don't know how the game's going to be once the game starts. And uh, the fact that he can react and think on his feet, actually, is very good. Um, you can argue that he's yeah. got a stacked stack squad. You can argue that there's people like Dembele and, and Arturo Vidal that were on the bench to start with. Obviously, Ansu Fati was injured, but he could have been on the bench as well. You've even got Rakitic on the stands, you know? So he's got a lot of quality. And once the game unfolds in front of his eyes, he can react to it. And I think that's quite skillful. You know, I don't think he's the right coach for Barca I'm not saying that but I don't think you can take credit from him in terms of he knows how to react to what he's seeing in games and I think that's quite good yeah that's my point I agree with you that you there's there's bad but then there's also good and that's and it's a de- defining what uh Verde can do still at this moment uh, and that's the whole thing that the reason he hasn't lost his job yet because there is not that there's hope but it's it, Barca are not going to play the way that everybody wants Barcelona to play maybe under Valverde, but Valverde has a team and a personnel, and by doing the right things at the right times, he can get results, right? And, and that's what we've been saying about him for years, that he gets, he seems to be getting results, and there are on four occasions when he didn't get results that everybody wants to always bring up because it was you know a moment when managers have to get results in those situations. But we, we, we've been through this a million times. Back to Busquets, what I do want to mention is that I agree with you on the part about him being a legend and all those different things, but I do also want to bring up something I was wondering the other day, right? That in the days of Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, and we always talk about that Pep Guardiola team, and it's going to be, obviously, it was one of the greatest teams ever, ever put together, and it's it's a, a, a standout moment, not just in Barcelona's history, though, but in world football and the way that it influenced everybody else. I mean, I last week I was doing a, a, a college game, right? And uh, like I was uh, broadcasting a college, a college soccer game here in the United States, right? So I'll call it soccer because here in the U.S. And in that match, the team that I was 
well, working for it was the number one team in, 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 the, in the country in Division Two. So not Division One, but Division Two. It's a lower level. And the other team did not have a great record. And yet the other team, not the number one team, continu- continuously attempted to pass out of the back over and over and over again and build up through players that probably weren't up to it, right? And they just continued to just over and over and over again. And the reason you saw that is because that's what happened. With Guardiola, it disseminated down and down and down. And it was happening around him as well in different places. But this idea that it, it has to be you know, build, a slow buildup, coming from the back, spacing out an opponent, finding those passing lanes, and then being able to use that later on in a match to counterattack. Because once you bake the press, then you have a numerical advantage. And then taking, I mean, that's as much as people want to call it ticky-tack or all the different things that Guardiola does, the primary idea Right, that that succeeded with Busquets and Xavi and Iniesta and Messi helping out, dropping in that midfield as well as a false nine, is that Barcelona always had a numerical advantage. So now in the way that world football works, though, where we've seen it, uh, Norwich defeating Man City this season and Guardiola for all that he dominates. And there, there's a reason why Man City defeated Watford 8 nothing. right? That when Man City runs on you and breaks you down, you are broken. And, that, and, and, and that's what it does. Guardiola is still his Man City, and he's adapted a little bit and changed things. Uh, but in the same regard, I think that number six spot, right, the defensive midfielder role that Busquets had, I think it's we're going to talk about this later about fear and what Barcelona has, you know, the, 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 the humility that they might have now had after Roma and Liverpool. We'll talk about that later. But for me, Busquets, uh, being the legend that he did, I think his position has changed. And unfortunately, Busquets is still Busquets, right? So modern football has, over the last you know eight, nine years, you know, Guardiola's way, it won World Cups, it won Euros with Spain, then it won Champions League with Barcelona, and it is you know, still dominating the Premier League with Man City. But in that same regard, it's that position has changed a bit, right? To be more of what Frankie de Jong is, it's, it's got to be a position now that's mobile. It's got to be a position that it, if you have a guy that's such class like de Jong, that he can be that metronome offensively, continue to diagonally shifting the ball and probing and probing and probing. But then defensively, that's the responsibility they have to be able to break out those counterattacks. Because if you throw those so many bodies forward, including the number six role, he's going to have to make up that 70 yards in the kind of seconds that I don't think Busquets can make up anymore. And I think that's where, it, in modern football, Busquets' job is, is only now 85% fulfilled by the over-30 Spaniard that we see in, in Busquets. You know, and I think it's not that he's... It's nothing that has to do with his game. I think Busquets is still the legend that he always is, but I don't know if modern football has... If he's if he's been able to adjust his game with modern football. Does that make sense, Frances? It makes perfect sense. It makes so much sense that I've got very little to add. I, I just want to say then that um, if Guardiola was still at Barca, then Busquets would be more valid than he is today because his skills, his, you know, his history even, his career, what he's done so far, um, which obviously, as you mentioned, he's, he's won tremendous amount of trophies collectively. And you know, if he was even more popular, he had Instagram and all of that nonsense and he was posing you know, uh, with selfies, etc., he probably would be even having some more individual accolades. But... Um, what I'm trying to say is that he is someone who doesn't really align with what Valverde is trying to achieve. Um, Valverde is not someone who um, sort of has beautiful football and attacking football in, in, at the forefront of his mind, and, and he's suffering as a result. Of course, football has changed. But I think that if Xavi was coaching Barca, for example, Busquets would be feeling much more comfortable because the pieces around him would be operating in a different way. So I think it's an element of everything that you just said. And also the fact that Valverde is the manager and 
is just not a Barca bread, La Masia oriented Cruyffism sort of guy. And that's where we are today. Well, Carlos asked, and this is around the same topic, but a little bit different. Uh, do our supporters have any humility? Is there one single club we show respect to? This Inter before today had allowed three goals and are top in the league. If you follow social media, you think we're playing Cadiz. People on the boards and Twitter talking about Europa League. Uh, and I think Carlos is on to something there. But, you know, you and I have spoken about this before where when I was doing the preview about Inter Milan, and I was actually surprised. And that's a whole thing, right, that I... I took the time. I it was up on YouTube. I picked the five players that were worrisome to me, and you know, not to, not to, very good. That. Not to, that. Well, not to that pat, brilliant. Well, not to pat myself on the back, but all five wound up featuring very importantly in that match. So Inter, and what that says to me though, it's that's interesting, is that Conte's system, a new manager at Inter, has already made things work by the fact that I could predict who his five most important players were going to be tells you that he knows exactly who he's relying on already in a system that he's comfortable with, right? And so. For, that's what I, though, learned by researching Inter, who I last thought was, okay, they're a shell of what they were when they won the treble about a decade ago under Jose Mourinho. And they really haven't, they're not AC Milan, who are an utter mess, but they're uh, somewhere between utter mess and, and functional, I think is what AC Milan is. But Inter Milan, I figured, were just a little bit better than AC Milan or whatever. But again, doing more research, I found out that Inter really has been on the up and up. And then Conte is almost the final piece to put the thing that they've been building over the last few seasons together to make this jump in Serie A and, and try to contend across all competitions, right? And so the, where, yeah. what that comes from, though, is, is the research that I did. And so uh, the average fan, I think I almost don't want to put the onus on them to do their own research. And not to say that's not somebody's job, but a lot of people can just show up and watch a match, and that's totally fair. So they have their preconceived ideas of what they think has been happening with the opponent they're going against. And where it's always true is that I think Barca already, always has more talent. Like, I don't know, other than maybe, again, Man City, I think even pound for pound, when you look at this player on paper, right? Messi versus Block, De Young versus Block, uh, PK versus Block, Stegen versus Block. You're going to put the check, and this is just like how we do fantasy in the United States. You're going to put the check mark next to more Barcelona names than the op- within the opposing team, and I think that happens across the board every team in the world. So that's where that juxtaposition comes in, where Barca have the best players and should be winning, sure, but there's other teams in this in in, in world football. The same thing when we went on the road against Dortmund. Dortmund are flying high right now and giving Bayern Munich a run for their money this season, even if they haven't over the last two or three seasons, right? So I think that it's that time in the year where teams are doing well and Inter had a game plan. And Inter has been a good team in their own right, and their fans are excited about what they're doing. But Barcelona, just because they have better players, doesn't mean that results are guaranteed. So it really is a juxtaposition between those two things. For sure. And the key word here is vision. When you watch Inter play at the Camp Nou, you know that that's a Conte team. You know that they, you know, the first time in probably ever that I see an Italian team playing from the back at times, not all the time, but at times, and trying to build sort of the proper way. I mean, Conte has been all over the place. Um, definitely he's just at Chelsea, obviously with Juventus before. You know what that team's going to get. You know, you know they're going to be fighting. You know they're going to be aggressive. You know they're going to try and be creative when they can. You know they're going to get you in the counter. And you know exactly what you're going to get. And that is something that at Barca, we were very clear about when Cruyff was coaching, when Guardiola was coaching, even when Luis Enrique was coaching. You know, it was an evolution. Um, again, the world of social media is all about who can insult someone else the loudest to get the most likes or retweets and whatever they call these days. Um, so I don't think that's that's something we should consider as empiric. You know, that is not something we can 
we can take us serious at all because it's all a, a bit of a circus. That's why I'm not on Twitter or anything like that anymore. But what's lacking at Barca is an identity. That it's, it's basically a team at the moment that Valverde just doesn't quite seem to understand what Barca is about. Um, he's just trying to build a team that doesn't lose many games, that are solid at the back, and they over-rely on Messi in order to build forward, you know? And that's why a lot of people in the fan base um, within Barcelona and obviously Catalonia and beyond are not very necessarily happy or in love with what's going on. But that's where we are today based on what the board is proposing and, and what they wanted us to sort of do and be for the season. And at this stage, when you see Dortmund or you see Inter Milan or you see... Um, like, who was it? Bayern Munich scoring seven goals against Tottenham, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And Manchester City doing what they do in the Premier League. That's what you want. You want a vision. You want you want the, the supporters to sort of buy into the product that the, the club actually is. And we don't have that at the moment. And, and that's why people are unhappy. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's also a matter of having that target on your back as one of the best teams in world football. Look at Tottenham, right? It seems you talk to their fans right now, and you think that you know the house of cards is completely falling apart, and Pochettino is on his way to Real Madrid, replace Zidane, and all these different things are, are are what I'm hearing from Tottenham fans day in and day out now, and that comes on the heels of making the final of the Champions League just a few months ago, right? So as high as Tottenham flew, it, it, a, poor, a poor start is what is the generation we're in now, and uh, you know, I, yeah, I'm a little bit younger. But in the same regard, you know, I, I don't know how young I am. But anyway, in, in the world of social media that I think I'm a little bit of an old soul for anyway, uh, it seems to me that it is that quick instant gratification. We need results. And I think that's the other part of this where it's humility uh, that we're speaking about, that Barcelona's reign has coincided with the era of instant gratification. And that I think that, that, that just warps our worldview of everybody. And that the, the teams that are successful now where – Man United did this thing over multiple years, and they created this institution under Alex Ferguson uh, that you speak about in almost a glob of time, right? That this whole Alex Ferguson era was this big thing. It started with the the, the with David Beckham and Ryan Giggs as as teenagers back in the day, and now it became over the course of all these seasons with Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, the the dominant force that it was, culminating in Champions League wins, right? So I, I think. To the point of whether or not Barcelona fans have humility, it's not in the moment. But if Barcelona, if if the era of Pep Guardiola winds up being, and not just Guardiola, but then Enrique winning the treble and and Rijkaard winning the Champions League before that, if there's this era from basically what 2005, 2006 to maybe 2015, 2016, if that were if that winds up being that a, a snapshot in time of those ten years then we're going to remember that as that at Bar- as Barcelona's most successful era. And that's what it was. It was that time when we had the best player in the world in Messi, and they were winning all these trophies and all these different things. So I think in hindsight, that will be where humility lies. And obviously in the era of instant gratification on social media, it's not going to happen from match to match. And we, have, we play twice a week, right? And I try to stay with the, the seasonal narrative. But you're right, Frances, because of a lack of identity, it's almost a hiccup where uh, you play against... Villarreal one day, and then you feel a certain way about the squad, and you go, okay, this is what this is. Maybe it already still doesn't make sense. Sure, that's a theme throughout the season, even though he's still the manager, but where is the team at now with Alverde in charge? And then it comes to Saturday or Sunday's game, and you, and you say, well, okay, so now where is the team in terms of the results, in terms of personnel, in terms of uh, their plan, their identity? Where does that stand? And it changes twice a week now because of course we're playing a midweek match, uh, and, and that's almost hard to, to fathom and, and, and get going. Yep. Um, nothing much more to add. I just want to say that um, if something very special was being built, 
if you had, I don't know, Ricky Puch and Fatty and, and all of these youngsters, um, Carlos Perez, starting and, and sort of making mistakes and losing points here and there along the way, it would be great. But that's not what's happening. You know, we, we because of situation, um, Messi doesn't have many years left at the peak. Um, I would say being generous, he's got three left. And we need to win and we need to win now. So that's why we're in the middle of nowhere in a way. We're in a win now and not even rebuilding at the same time. And it's, it's a weird situation to be in. And obviously we're led by someone who is not there for the long term. I think it's, it's commonly agreed that at the end of the season, by the way, they will be gone regardless. So it's just we need to depend on Messi's brilliance. And to be honest, we have for the last 15, 20 years, not, not 20, but for the last 15 years for sure. But it's even more obvious now. And we just need to surround him with the best players and hope that this manager does his best because otherwise, um, if, like we said before, we're wishing for the team to do wrongly, that, that's nonsensical. So that's all we can do at the moment. Just hope that everything goes well so that Messi continues to extend his legend at Barca. And that's a good point that you said about the best players. And that's what I was wondering watching that match and what, we, what, what, what leads, what comes from this Busquets discussion is that Busquets is the best player around Messi, but is it the right player to support him? And we're not necessarily sure even, because this season, when it comes between the pairing of De Jong and Arthur supporting Messi in the midfield, we yesterday's match was the first time we saw that. We hadn't seen. He'd only played two 45-minute installments so far uh, that the, this season. So I think this year, led by your best player, is still a work in progress with him coming back. And people have made the points that to get the amount of points and to still be in the league of race in the way they are and to get the away draw to Dortmund and then getting the three points against uh, Inter Milan in the group stage of the Champions League, that winds up being a success if you look at how little Messi has played. Uh, and the other thing you brought up, and it's true that, again, can, not going back to this Busquets point, but the what it would take to try to drop Busquets, but for what purpose, right? And Vidal came in and did the job that he was supposed to do. And and that's why Barca turned things around. He really was a big catalyst for turning it around in the, in the second half. And Dembele came on and uh, using the width of the field and the speed and taking on defenders, it unearthed uh, something in Barca that they hadn't seen so far in the game. And Christopher asked, will we get to see Elena again anytime soon? And it comes at the point of whether it's Elena, whether it's Puj, that's the conversation I think that's that, that's, that I think is where this should shift. And it's not to be critical of Busquets. Again, this isn't knocking down Busquets. But you're trying to get the best out of Barcelona in certain matches, particularly against Inter, that a team that is just so defensively sound. So to me, if you're against a defensively sound team like that, De Jong probably should be your number six. And then you have to go with an Elena or a Puj. I'd love to see that. It's going to be Vidal for a while. But do you go with Elena or Puj? Who, even Puj for Barca B, that's exactly what he does, right? That he's a little more protected in front of De Jong. So Puj isn't necessarily just an attacking midfielder that doesn't do any defensive work. He might have a smaller frame, but he does defensive work in the same way that Xavi and Iniesta did, uh, more, more in line Iniesta, where how many times do you remember Iniesta coming in with a biting, crunching tackle? No, mm-hmm. no, he cuts out the passing lanes. And that's what Puj is. That's the, that is what Lamasia can still hang his hat on. That defensively, for all we talk about the attacking flair and all the technical skill of all of these midfielders, cutting out those passing lanes and basically preventing, having to defend in the way that uh, your desperate last gaps tackle that we saw a lot from Nelson Semedo, unfortunately, yesterday. Uh, and that's no discredit to him, but Barcelona were cut out and they were stretched out in a, in a tough position. If they cut out that those passing lanes and get the press right from the start, Inter Milan never even get across midfield. And and so, you know, that's a question where you don't know, obviously, if a 20-year-old in Puj is going to be able to do that. But of what I've always seen from him at Barca B, it still winds up being a puzzling thing to me that I'm hoping when 
I'm right, right? This is what I said at the start of the season when we asked where Puj was going to be this year. Unfortunately, Lenya has, I thought he would be featured a little more, but unfortunately, 45 minutes of the first match of the season has been a death sentence for him. But maybe Lenya goes out alone, and when Rakitic is sold, maybe that does uh, uh, lead to some time for Puj, and maybe that does lead to what I thought, where it was going to be a transition over the course of the season for him. So in this midfield, I don't think necessarily will we see Alenia soon. It's will we see Alenia if it's felt like he's needed by Valverde. I'm just not sure why he was dropped when he was. And I know we've mentioned that before, but the thing is, I've been speaking to several of my friends that um, go to the Camino regularly and some of my friends in the press in Catalonia. And, you know, I've been trying to get them sort of some digging in terms of did he say something to the manager? Has his agent been voiceless? Has he caused some trouble in the dressing room? And everyone's telling me no. Everyone's telling me that he continues to be, this is Carlos Alaña, obviously. He continues to be as professional as he's always been. And none of us can actually explain, and we don't really know why he's just not featuring. You know, it's not the fact that he's not even playing. It's the fact he's not even on the bench. And a lot of the time, he's just not even traveling with the team. So it's really, really puzzling. Um, for someone of his age and, and his potential, it really is weird that he's not getting any minutes at all when there's others that, Obviously, Rakitic are getting some minutes here and there, not many. But obviously, I think Rakitic has been shown the door and it really feels like Alanya has been done the same thing. But, you know, at 21 years old, you see Frankie de Jong, obviously, at a different level um, because he comes from Ajax. And in Ajax, you know, you can actually break into the team more easily and you can be trusted and you can be given more space and freedom. But it, they're the same age and he's just not featuring at all. I'm, I'm fairly certain. I mean, if I was him, I would look for a loan option um, now that... When December comes to have gone and get some minutes is it really I don't see an explanation and no one that I talk to actually knows either very very strange yeah it is odd um, we're going to transition to a question from Rick uh, Matarazzi commented on Marca uh, which is as, as we've talked about before a really trustworthy source for uh, oh sorry can't get to a princess uh, that Barcelona seemed to have lost its fear factor and clubs no longer are afraid of playing the team despite having Messi uh, and so Rick asked, do you think his comments were accurate about Barcelona having lost their fear factor and clubs no longer afraid of playing them? If you believe so, how do we regain that fear factor? Or must we be humbled in conceding that it'll take a lot of time and reconstruction to regain our supremacy? So uh, summing all that up, uh, Matarazzi had said teams aren't afraid of Barca. Are teams afraid of Barca still, Frances? No, clearly not. Um, we were ridiculed and embarrassed in the Champions League for the last arguably four years, um, definitely in Roma and definitely last year in, in, in Liverpool as well. So no, the, why would they be scared? Uh, we've got Messi. Um, it, it has been proven that if you're a very sort of organised opponent and you close pretty much the centre, you can stop Messi. Um, obviously, he's of a calibre of player. I mean, the best ever. He can unsettle you um, in a nutshell. But if, if you can most of the time deactivate him, then of course you can. I mean, Dortmund weren't scared and Inter Milan weren't scared. And no, if I was the manager that was playing against Barca, I wouldn't be scared at all. I would think I've got a chance. Um, uh, the Champions League game against Inter Milan also showed that we are very vulnerable at the back. Um, Piquet and Lenglet were definitely not great together. Um, in terms of speed, um, a, lot, a couple of times it actually had to be Semedo has been heavily criticised that he is all the time. And I don't really understand why he's so heavily criticised 
um, every time he plays because actually he saved a couple of goals and tracking back. And if it wasn't for his strength and positioning, the result would have been much worse. Yeah, so, I agree. Lenglet was no, worse than Semedo yesterday, but Semedo was the one who got the bad rap. I didn't understand that either. I agree. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't want to look into into too much detail as to why that may be. I've got my own cynical, I can't be cynical at times, I've got my own cynical reasons, but I'm not, definitely not gonna get into that on the pod. But um, I think that um, we could have got beaten fairly consistently yesterday if Inter had gone away with three or four goals. If you think about the save that Ter Stegen had, that wouldn't be surprising. So absolutely no, we're not scary anymore. The only scary point is when Messi sort of switches on and everything around him works. But that doesn't happen all the time, so no. Um, we don't have the same players we had 10 years ago. We don't have the same vision we had 10 years ago. We don't have the same foresight from the board that we had 10 years ago. Uh, we don't have Guardiola or even Luis Enrique at, at, you know, at the wheels. So that we're not scary anymore. And that's a fact and people need to get over it. And hopefully everyone, the, the source is what, obviously, but I, I need to remind people of this, the only ones that can change this when they have the chance, steer the wheel in the right way. Because at the moment, that's, that's where we are. Yeah, and I was thinking about uh, Messi's role in all that, that it's not a matter of blaming, you know, it's not putting fault on Messi. Now, you're right about, I think, 70% of that argument is made from the results, that uh, in the Liga, it's almost guaranteed that Barcelona's going to win that, but the Liga, as we've talked about, has, whether it's the sharing of broadcasting rights, whether it's just um, the league is improving on its own, uh, it's interesting to me that as Liga's bottom feeders get a little bit better, the narrative in the rest of the world now is looking at the table and going, oh man, we can't say the league is the best in the world because Barca, Atletico, and Real Madrid aren't really showing us that, and they seem to be having identity issues, all three of the giants, and they're having all these problems and dropping points in Champions League, and they're not dominating the other league of teams. And the argument I continue to make is, I again, I, I watch other teams in, in the Liga, and if you watch Real Sociedad against a, a Mallorca, a, right, a promoted team, it, it looks like it makes sense, and, and it works out. And Granada, they might be tough to play against, and they play a very Hadafe-like uh, style where they foul you and they make things difficult, but in the same way, they've got a touch of class. They've got a touch of technical La Liga ability, and they're a good team as well, and that's why they're flying high. And so it's it's very causal where you have to... There's a lack... There's a I think it's a lack of empathy and understanding the quality in other teams' skill sets. And what that where that all leads to Messi is that I think in that same way, the opponents are, are people too, right? They're, opponent, they're people with that may be on social media too much. Uh, players, I mean, they, they might be looking at certain billboard material. And what they see, what everyone outside Barcelona sees is these, you know, arguments. And I had a YouTube video about it, Messi Dependencia, and this idea that Barcelona completely relying on, on, on Messi. And... The other things that get lost in that arguments are the fact that you have a player now like De Young who's just simply part of the other that is that is uh, that is not Messi, right? That Dembele, for all his success, is just a uh, another player for Barcelona, and not this year with his injuries. But same thing with Luis Suarez, right? When he's at Liverpool all those years ago, he was a younger man, but it was all about Luis Suarez, right? He's leading Liverpool in the way that he is, and now he's just part of that other. That if you stop Messi, I don't care if you say Luis Suarez and Gerard Piquet and Jordi Alba and Frankie De Young, no matter who it is. It's not, Messi has to be the savior. Messi has to rescue. And I think his shadow, not of, again, not Messi's fault, but I think the media has taken uh, his shadow and loomed it so large over Barcelona that, you know, that other teams are starting to believe that self-fulfilling prophecy that Barcelona are just Messi. And it's, if you, you said it, if you stop Messi, 
then it doesn't matter these world-class talents. We don't need to know their names. Who cares about Luis Suarez? Because if you stop Messi, you stop Barcelona. And unfortunately, that's another big indictment on, on Valverde that the way that a lot of his matches have gone and the way that Barcelona sometimes have to rescue things in the second half, that at times it does feel like it is if Messi doesn't rescue them, these world-class players without Messi can't get it done. And that is just, it, it's a chicken or the egg thing, right? Is it that because Messi is so good that this is going to happen inevitably? Or is it that uh, that the rest of Barca's, uh, that, uh, or is it that the media has just concocted this thing that Barcelona are so reliant on Messi that they can't get results? I'm not sure. 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 Uh, well, Sure and not sure at the same time. Yeah. Um, for now, all the time that Messi has been away, I would have thought that the rest of the team would have gelled enough and would have progressed enough not to depend on him. Um, but, you know, Suarez has been, as we mentioned before, it was out of shape. Griezmann is finding his feet. Um, I think Griezmann, a bit of an aside here, he's not going to excel until he actually plays as a striker. Um, I don't think Griezmann was signed to be a winger. And if he was, that, that's not the right thing to do. Um, he's someone who, at Atletico, he was always partnering up with Diego Costa. And he needs he needs to be a reference, or at least he needs to be more central. Um, if you think about what he's been doing the last couple of games, he's been drifting towards the middle so much that he actually um, frees space to, hopefully, Jordi Alba, but obviously he's injured at the moment. And that, that would work. But I think Griezmann is not going to be as great as he can be, and he should be, unless he plays in the middle. And... Um, Coming back to, to the point, there's been enough time for people to gel and to be able to get away from Messi dependencia, but the moment Messi comes back, he just goes back to the same uh, to the same place, which is giving the ball to him when things get difficult. And, and that's really easy to stop. Uh, but it takes a, a gutsy manager. It takes a, a manager with foresight. It takes a manager with experience and, and bravery and risk-taking that we just don't have at the moment. So I, I know probably I'm being too negative today, but... Uh, that's what that's what I see, you know. The game against Inter, it was a team that was not great at the first half and was rescued by the best players in the second. And and we're not going to succeed very much with that approach. Um, hopefully, shape, form, etc. gets regained throughout the season, but not feeling as optimistic as usual today. Yeah, uh, Andre asked, uh, and this will be the final question here. For the past couple of matches, it seems our central defense is the problem. Do you feel it's time to change one of them? Uh, but who do you drop? Because both of them have been at fault in the past. And I've said a lot of it is systemic because they are getting caught so far upfield. And again, when you had last year in particular was worse, I think, than this season. When you had Busquets and Rakitic getting involved and then not having the pace to be able to come back and break those counterattacks like De Young did in the second half, uh, then it does leave PK and Lingley alone on an island. And they don't have the breakneck speed that Umtiti and Tadebo have. And I, I, you know, I've been thinking a lot. It's when... When players are on the bench, that's really when I tend to think about them, and we tend to see them as the the answer and the savior. But Tadebo is still just 20 years old. He didn't really feature much for France in the U20 World Cup, right? He was down. He was if he if and if he's sitting on the bench and down the depth chart for the France U20 World Cup, how is he going to just take over PK spot at Barcelona, right? That's a crazy thing to say, and clearly there are things in his game he's not ready for. Sure, but I think the PK point, and I think Langley to a to a, a degree as well that Lenglet has not been as good as he was last year, right? He had, just like Umtiti, in his first full season at Barcelona, I don't know what it is about these French left, left-footed left center backs, that their first season at Barcelona is sparkling, right? And they're tremendous. And Umtiti's, we blame on his going awry, was because of the, the workload and the knee injuries and all that. But Lenglet has not been in the same form that he was a year ago. He just seems to be 
off it at times. He just seems to be uh, unfocused in terms of where he is on the field. And so his his ability to cut out those things, and it's not about his age or anything. I mean, he just might be only as fast as he is, uh, and that's just who he is, you know, and he's still in his early 20s. And in the same regard, PK has been fine, right? He's been fine. He hasn't been terrible. He hasn't been in his best form, but PK has been okay. But the defense as a whole, that unit, there's things that are fundamentally wrong with uh, the, the fact that Semedo at times, if he's not, if Semedo gives the ball away or if he's the last one upfield and not being in important spots in the attack and they don't get that to work out, then Semedo being the farthest defender forward, particularly filling in for Alba on the left side, he, Semedo being, is also the best option to come back and cut out counterattacks in ways that Roberto doesn't do tremendously. He's fine, he's helpful, but Roberto isn't that lockdown defender one-on-one coming back on the counterattack to snuff something out. And then PK and Lele are just wanting on steps and, and wanting on positional sense together. Uh, they, that unit has not been great. So I think it's same thing goes for Suarez, where PK, I think, is separate that I wouldn't say that PK is the one who comes off the bench, but in the same regard... I think you take a hard look. There has to be times when Todibo's number is called, right? Or if not, then Barca in January bring in a, a center back or something like that, right? If that's a position of need and Umtiti's not on the right track back, then it has to be a position of need, right? If that if PK and Langley just aren't doing it for you this year, I think they're still the answer, but I don't think they're the answer every single week, twice a week, because that's what's happening. There is no rotation at all at the center back position. I think that's what's necessary. It doesn't mean that Tadebo is going to come in and, and light the world on fire, but that does mean that there are times to put in a long, tall, rangy center back who's also good with a dribble. They, you know, they, they, yep. it, it, might not go, it might not go right. Not gonna, I, I don't think it's going to go completely wrong because he's been classed the times that we've seen him. Yep, I think you hit the nail in the head there. Um, we don't really need a fixed sort of back four for every game being the same. I think the key, especially now, I mean, it's October already, but I think the key is rotation. I think Todibo really needs to play. Um, obviously, we've got the injuries to Firpo and definitely Jordi Alba there, but I think that if Jordi Alba is, is starting, which obviously when he's fit, he will, then Semedo has to be the right back, and he has that more sort of, defensive mind that Sergio Roberto does and, and he covers the sort of the backtracking if that makes any sense is, is better and more effective um, and then Piquet and Lenglet the other thing that they need to take it in turns you know um, obviously hopefully UMTT gets back to form and gets trusted once again soon um, we've got four I would say very good centre-backs um, but obviously they're not Todi was not being trusted UMTT is not fit enough and the other two are just doing just picking up all the workload but I think the key especially now is rotation and then when big games come like the ones in the Champions League for example then you pick your preferred four for for that occasion based on injuries but rotation has to be key and it just hasn't happened and to be honest I think that's going to hurt us in three or four months time especially if either one of them gets a knock. Yep and then the one off here about the defense Cole asked when does Wage get deserve a chance to prove himself and to break in the team and to Cole I would say that uh, Wage was I, I think Barca's worst performance in the preseason and he is still a very, very young defender that is training with the first team. Uh, and for the things that Wage might be able to do, even eventually, that Semedo doesn't necessarily do. And I think about Wage, I think, is a better crosser than Semedo at this point, even already in his career, even though he's a few years younger. But 
Wage's issues in the preseason were all defensive, that he just, uh, not even that he was out of position, but his tackling wasn't really clean. He was caught out. He picked up some yellows in times when, it, you know, a, a better defender might have just made the right tackle. Um, and so I think Wage, being as undisciplined as he has been so far uh, in that preseason, and he's shown in, again, limited opportunities uh, that he has all the talent moving forward, uh, and defensively he's okay. He has the speed. Physically he can do it. But just tactically, he still has things to fix and work on. And you'd rather have Semedo in those positions because we saw against Inter that for all the criticism he might get offensively, he stopped in that second half in particular a few of those counterattacks uh, that Lenglet and PK got wrong. And Semedo was the one to rescue Barcelona um, in in that second half and sometimes in the first half as well. And so uh, for me, what Semedo can do defensively uh, – I think it overrules what Wage has done so far. And, you know, it's no knock on Wage, but it's going to be Sergio Roberto before Wage because Sergio Roberto also knows the team better and he does what he does better. And he's, I think, at this point, just as good or maybe a defender, a better defender uh, at, at the right back spot than Wage. And that just comes with experience. So I think his time will come yep. eventually. He's supremely talented, already started for the Senegal national team at times. Um, in the, But in the same regard, it's just the way Barca have not, this is the whole theme, right? The way that Barcelona need results, need to get wins. The pressure is on Valverde. Valverde is not going to put with his job uh, seemingly up for grabs. And with him feeling like he might be on the hot seat, he's not going to go with a 20-year-old in Wage. It's just not going to happen. No. And, and the last point here is that not everyone who's great at Barca B and Juvenil and Cadetes, etc., is going to be good enough to join the first team. Um, it doesn't just come to speed, strength, ability for passing, etc. I think the biggest factor to jump from La Masia and the sort of youth system to the first team is mentality, is having that desparpajo, having, having that ability, having that attitude to be amongst the stars, being under the spotlight. You've got, what, 99,000 people watching your every single move, and that's just in the stadium. You've got millions around the world. Not everyone can do it. And that is the difference. That's why I think the eruption of Ansu Fati is so impressive because it's at such a mm-hmm. young age. Sure. It's like he's playing in his backyard. It's like he's playing with his mates. And to be honest, he probably is because he knows definitely Messi and has known him for a long while. And, you know, he's under his wing in a way. But it's not about what you do in the pitch. It's about the way in which you do it, the attitude, what you have. And, you know, so, so going back to Fati, he had a lot of mistakes in terms of passing in terms of making the wrong run in terms of making the wrong shot but he didn't he wasn't faced by it he kept smiling about it and he kept trying it's the same with, with Ricky Butch you know that's why I think those two are so special because they don't seem to be daunted by the spotlight and while we certainly didn't do that over the over the preseason but better thinks he needs to continue to learn during training and I don't think he's finished at all I just think he's too raw he's too verde like we say in Spanish he's too green mm-hmm. he needs to continue to develop yeah, for sure. And you mentioned, Francis, not everybody can do it. And that's why I bring you on to help me out today and answer these Luanda questions. To all those in our closed Facebook group, again, thanks so much for these questions. I know there's a lot of good ones that we didn't even get to today, but as we saw, as we were trying to react to this Inter Milan thing, I just had to kind of pick the ones that I knew that we were going to be focused on and we're going to be part of our conversation. That If I didn't even mention your name, but you heard basically your question come up, I'm glad that we got to it again. Those questions did even influence our thinking, even if we didn't necessarily specifically ask your questions. But for 
For our audience, thanks so much for tuning in. You can tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe to the show. You can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me. On Instagram at the Barcelona Pod, our closed Facebook group, tvpod.link backslash group. That's where you get these questions. That's where we also have uh, a lot of different content there. Deeper dives, discussions. You can help us out on Patreon, as I mentioned. That's where the quick take match reviews happen. And yesterday I felt it was like my most coherent one. So if you still want to review on Inter Milan, head over to tvpod dot link backslash patreon we're also on youtube as you always hear me mentioning now week in and week out it's at the barcelona pod i've been doing i did the previews for the champions league but generally every week there's some big big theme or idea sometimes it's historical sometimes it's just current events uh about the club and that is on youtube so you can use your eyes instead of just your ears check us out there hit that subscription button and uh, as always the thing i want to ask actually more than anything else is just share this pod if you're in a community with other barcelona supporters let them know about this pod so we can get this in as many ears as possible so thanks so much for listening to the barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon Forza Barca. Forza.